Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you. It's a great honor to be a pastor here. So um, if you are new here, I would love to meet you. I got to meet um, some great folks after the last service, and I'll be out there, and I would love to talk to you uh, if that works out. So uh, Leanne was our vocalist up here this morning when we were praying for the morning. I noticed she slumped in her chair, looked extra tired, and she was at the game last night, so, uh, but she was still here singing for us. She said she stopped cheering in the third quarter just so she would still have a voice left uh, for us today, and I would say she definitely had a very good voice for us today, so it's a great honor to be with you. So if you uh, have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 2, just the second chapter in the Bible, so you could start flipping there if you want to. <clears throat> Let me just tell you a little bit about our family. This time of year, uh, I have two birthdays. Two, our two daughters were born... Uh, eight days apart uh, on separate years. Otherwise, that would have been a super long labor. But uh, so think about that for a little bit. But um, no, it's this week doing a lot of reflecting because it looks like both of them will graduate uh, from college uh, in May. And uh, we still have our son. He's a junior at Liberty, but uh, just went so fast. And I was just thinking about, you know, this role of a dad and moms out there too. Like, it's such a weird thing because when your kids are little, man, they just, it's, it's just consuming, but it's good consuming. Like I was just thinking all the games we used to play and the daddy horsey rides and the daddy dances and, you know, the games and reading books and the walks and, and all of this. And, um, but your role as a dad is like, then they just go, right? And they take off. It's like, what was, what was that all about? You know, like uh, you miss those days, but at the same time, you're super excited and just seeing them grow and becoming uh, the women and men that God created them to be. So, um, but what's been especially striking to me as we've been studying Genesis, we've been in the first two chapters, particularly chapter two. Like, I think what God is really trying to get through to us loud and clear is that he is a good God. Like, he, he loves us. There are so many things he longs to provide for us. And I think this has been a harder book for us to teach you than I realized. But really what drew me to this book was, I feel like as a culture, and as a church, we just got to get back to the foundations of who are we and why are we here. I think we're living in a day where people are just struggling and battling and restless and discouraged and just kind of looking for who, who are we and how did we get here. And so in Genesis 1, it was really cool. If you were with us in those days, we just saw God. I think the banner over Genesis 1 is that God is great. Like God is infinite. God, I mean, spoke and the heavens and earth came to be. He just spoke in each of the days of creation, and you see the power of God and the wisdom of God and just how infinite and great he is. And I think the message from God to his people in Genesis 1, remember we've talked about that the recipients, the original recipients, were God's people leaving Egypt. They'd been in slavery for 400 years, and they'd been around all these other God stories and other creation stories, and this God does this, this God does that. And I think God just wanted his people to know, no, there is one God, and that's me. And you don't need to waste your time worshiping all these other small g gods. Like, just look at me, worship me. I am your God. And so even in Genesis 1, though, kind of the, pinnac the pinnacle, the, the peak of his creation was in day 6 when he created the first man and woman. So pat ourselves on the back. Like, out of all of God's creation, like, we are the only ones that bear his image they're able to communicate with him, connect with him, and reflect him. And so there's such an encouraging message that comes out of Genesis 1. And then we get to Genesis 2, and you start in verse 4, and it begins kind of a whole new section. 
And uh, some people will say, well, these are two totally different authors, two totally different messages. And I, I disagree. What you see in 2.4 is, is the author is going back to day six in Genesis 1 of creation, how God created the first male, female in his image, and it's expanding on that. If that day was the most significant of the days of creation, Genesis 2 is, is letting us in on God's heart of why and how he created us. And if the banner over Genesis 1 is that God is great and infinite, you have an amazing God, I'd say the banner over Genesis 2 is that your God is really good. Like, and he loves you, and you are here for a reason and a purpose. We saw this last week that as Genesis 2 talked about how we were created, literally God got his hands in the dirt and formed the first man. And he breathed life into his nostrils. And we've been quick to admit that <laughs> Genesis 1 and 2, there's a ton of questions we have about, wait, how did that happen? Was it literally the dirt? God really is like, so there are so many questions that Genesis could answer that it does not. Because I think God is trying to get us loud and clear locked in on the key truths that he wants us to know about our existence, about where we have come from, and about why we're here. And Genesis 2, we saw that God just in a very intimate and personal way created the first man, breathed life into him, and then placed him in a garden that was just amazing. The Garden of Eden means delight, like such, such a beautiful place, and gave him a work to do that was very dignified and significant, gave this first man the chance to be involved in what God was doing, to participate with God in cultivating the earth. So, so far, we, we stopped in verse 17 last week, but this whole banner of God is good. Look at the setup he has given us. Today, we're going to finish out that theme and uh, we're going to touch on some really foundational things this morning, too, about gender, about what does it mean, male and female, uh, about marriage, about sex. And, but the bottom line underscoring point is that God is good. Again, there's, we have like 30, 35 minutes to do this. There's a lot of big topics here that really catapult some themes that go throughout Scripture that are incredibly meaningful for us. So um, let me ask you to stand because we're going to read these words together and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into it and study this morning. So Genesis 2, verses 18 to 25. You guys just can follow along on the screens just like to yourselves, and I'll just read it out loud for us. It says that the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Father, would you teach us today, and again, there's much in this text that we just have many questions about, 
But I pray this morning we would listen to what you have to say. What have you said through these words that you want us to embrace in our hearts? And help us listen and help us learn and help us be set free by the truth that you are good and that you have created us and that you love to provide for us. Could you ask him while you're standing there, could you just ask him briefly to help you pay attention and to to catch at least one thing that he wants to say to you this morning? Your loving Father in heaven wants to talk to you through his word. Ask him to teach you one specific thing today. If you could pray for me to be clear, to be bold, to be humble, and to teach God's word accurately. God, what a privilege for us to be a people in the presence of of Almighty God trying to study your word together. Would you teach each one of us today? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys, thanks for doing that. You can grab a seat. So let's start talking about first man, first woman. it probably hit you, maybe, and maybe if you're familiar with the passage, it didn't hit you fresh and hard this time. But the, the words not good jump out at you in verse 18. God, for the first time, God looked at his creation and said, something was not good. Because every other day of creation, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. Here we are in day six, and before he pronounces it very good, there was something that was not good. And so God saw that. And what is not good was that man was alone. Man is alone. And so this is a theme you see throughout the scriptures is that we have been created in the image of God. And the God whose image we bear is a personal God. So he has created us to know him, to communicate with him, to pray to him. He's written us the Bible so we can hear from him and hear from his heart. But even as you get to know what the scripture teaches about God, God himself is, is a God who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, like three persons in one. And within the Godhead, the love they show each other, the way they communicate and defer to each other, it is the perfect team, the perfect relationship. And so as image bearers, we've been created also uh, to need others, to be in relationship with others. And so as God was surveying his creation and he saw Adam as the only image bearer on the planet, that was not good. It was not good that Adam was alone. And we've talked about this, I think, within the last couple months, but it's been super interesting to see how researchers looking at our culture today are describing us as being in a loneliness epidemic. Have you heard that phrase used? It's kind of recent, but in spite of the fact that we have so much, we have so much technology, we're more connected with people than we have ever been with our devices and social media, but at the same time, we are more lonely than has ever been expressed as a people. In fact, what's interesting when you look at it, it's almost like in a U-shape. If you look at our population, it's like surprisingly the younger you go, uh, like upper teens through maybe mid, late 20s, that's where it's peaking, and then maybe there's like a U-shape curve where then again begins to peak uh, towards the end of life, but, but that whole U-shape is still gravitating toward greater and greater loneliness. And what's been grabbing people's attention, particularly uh, researchers the last few years, is how it's, you know, it's not just like, oh, it's too bad you feel kind of lonely. It's like loneliness is now triggering so many physical symptoms and physical effects in our bodies uh, from heart disease to Alzheimer's and then obviously emotionally and 
uh, things like discouragement or depression or those kind of things. And so people are actually very concerned and call loneliness a major health issue in our country. And so God sees that, and that is not good. It is not good that man is alone. So God sees a problem and moves toward a problem. God is a good God. He loves us. And so for Adam, he brings him into maybe it's first day on the job, right? And I did some reading on Adam this week. Like Adam, it'd be awesome to have been Adam right now, okay? So imagine people that I was reading about, like Adam had to have been absolutely brilliant. Like he's without sin. He you know, it's been just freshly created by God with like the ultimate like human capacities. And so now he's given this amazing job of God's just bringing all these animals by him and he's naming them. But what God was communicating through this is that as each animal is going by, what was, what was going through Adam's mind is like, there's nobody here like me. Like I'm just not connecting here. There's no other image bearer here among creation. So God was making um, that point to him. And so then it says in the text that because of that, God was ready to create for him a suitable helper, a suitable helper. Okay, so uh, when I do premarital counseling, this is the first text I take the couple to. Like I know there's a lot of different views of maybe what marriage is, but let's look and see what God says about marriage. And so usually though, when that word suitable helper is gonna come up, if I don't know the couple yet, I'll just kind of give, give them a heads up, particularly the woman, like, hey, you, that, may, that may strike you funny, but there's a beautiful explanation behind it. Don't run out the door, like I'm just getting to know you here, but, but let me do that here for a couple of minutes. Suitable helper, because maybe especially the word helper, you maybe immediately think like, okay, is this like some kind of, you know, servant, domesticated, you know, he's there to pick up clothes and do the laundry and all of that. It's like, no, 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 this word uh, helper is a super strong and powerful word. It was most often used in military terms. Like an example of using this word would be, like, let's say you were part of a battalion, that you were cornered, you're beginning to get surrounded, it's not looking good for you, and then another part of your army would send reinforcements, would send help your way. That's the nuance. Like, this, this means a strong force coming in in a spot of weakness, coming in where you have great need. In fact, that word helper was also used of God himself, that God is our helper. So what a beautiful picture of this first woman and her role in this man's life is that she was coming in with a strength uh, that he needed, right? And so that other word that's attached to it, suitable helper, is a really tricky Hebrew, Hebrew word. Um, suitable is probably a good rendition of it or, you know, a good fit, perfect complement. Literally in Hebrew, it means like, unlike, like, like, unlike. And so here's one who's coming in to the first man's life who is like him, image bearer, can connect with God like he can, can connect with him like none of the animals could, but yet she's unlike him. She's female. He's female. She's female. She comes into his life as a suitable helper, a perfect fit, a strength where he is weak. And so what I want to do just for a second is when this passage is taught, usually it just runs straight away into marriage. And there's a reason for that, because if you have a first man and woman and their command is to populate the earth, they got to get married, right? So, so you know that's coming. But I want to pause it here and just look at what God says about men and women, what God says about male and female. Let's just pause. Let's not send her down an aisle yet, okay? Let's just, let's just look at what he has said to this point, because I think it's absolutely beautiful. 
And uh, what you see in this, in Genesis 1 and 2, at the end of Genesis 1, remember it says that God created them in his image, male and female, he created them. So men and women both bear the image of God. Both were part of that cultural mandate uh, to be fruitful and multiply, to have dominion over the earth. Men and women equal value and dignity and worth before God. That is crystal clear from the scriptures. And, and you see it launched from Genesis 1 and 2, and you see it carried out throughout this scripture, the dignity and the value of both men and women. You see that put on display loud and clear through the life of Jesus. Uh, and even in this day when Genesis was written, uh, because the view of women historically has not been good. In fact, sometimes if I sit here and say things like women have value and dignity, we're here going like, duh, of course they do. But you guys, like this has not been a common thread and theme throughout world history. In fact, I would even today in our world where the gospel of Jesus Christ has not made inroads yet, those are the places where you will find abuses against women and injustice against women to the point where women can't be educated, women can't drive, uh, and are treated like second-class citizens. But even where the banner of Jesus may fly and people may say they are Christian, guys, where you see the greatest abuses against women is when Genesis 1 and 2 is just shoved aside where women are objectified or abused or taken, taken advantage of. Just, it's, it's not a no-brainer. Like, this is radical. This is revolutionary that when you live out and flesh out Genesis 1 and 2, and then you look at the life of Jesus, how he valued women, how he spent time with women, how he was countercultural in the way that he valued women, then you'll understand that this is, this is a beautiful teaching that we need today. In fact, Dorothy Sayers is a British author and poet. I loved what she said about Jesus. She said that it's perhaps no wonder that women were the first at the cradle and last at the cross because they had never known a man like this man. There had never been such another, a prophet, a teacher, who never nagged at them, who never flattered, coaxed, or patronized them, who took their questions and their arguments seriously. I just love this picture that Genesis 1 and 2 is painting, that men and women before God, dignity, honor, and value, and that each gender carries that, that each gender was just loved by God, created by God, and now welcomed into God's plan of the cultural mandate, uh, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion over the earth. And so uh, the call from this this morning is to every man in this room is to reflect the heart of your creator, to make sure that how we are treating uh, women, how we talk about women, uh, our thoughts about women are just reflective of what God says, that we value them, we honor them. And then the same is true for women in the room this morning too, that there's that equal honor uh, bestowed on men. And guys, if we are a people and a church that simply live out what we've just talked about in Genesis 1 and 2, we will stand out in this culture and in this world. Like this is not routinely or normally or naturally practiced, but this is the heart of our creator. He's a good God. He made male and female uh, complements, uh, strong forces in each other's lives, perfect fits for each other to serve him effectively together. What a beautiful picture. So, but now Marriage is clearly in this passage. So uh, now let's, 
let's, let's go on with this story. I wanted to pause there. And if you are single this morning in a variety of different ways, this is beautiful for us to be reminded of what God's standard for marriage is, what the blueprint for marriage is, because there may be a day you're headed toward this. It's good to know where you're headed, but it may also be true uh, that some of us this morning are single and those prospects do not look good. Please do not tune me out. There's some beautiful things we continue to learn about God here. And then in point three, I've got you guys in my mind. So hang with me, all right? So but let's go. So the first marriage now, again, if you got first man, first woman, they're supposed to populate the earth, you got to get them married. So, so they get married. And here's the, uh, the picture here is that Adam is alone. And uh, maybe you've heard me say this before, but like sometimes you'll hear a guy moves to a new town or goes to a new school. And somebody might ask him, hey, are you meeting anybody yet? If you started dating anybody, he's like, no, man, there's no girls here. There's no, like sometimes he just means he hasn't met some girls yet because only Adam could legitimately say there are no girls here because there were no girls. So that's, he's the only one that could play that card legitimately. But in spite of that fact, God provided for him. God created the first woman. And so, um, again, here's some of Genesis 2. Like, how did this all happen? Like, did he, you know, how did God create a woman from the man? Uh, for some reason, too, the word rib is tossed in there. Every other time that word appears in the Hebrew language, it means side. So what's the hang up on the rib? And there's something more than just bone, because when Adam saw her, he's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, not like just rib of my rib. So there's a lot of just maybe traditional like stuff kind of packed in here, but, but somehow God did create the first woman from the first man. We're not told all the details here, but that's what God did. He provided. And then, I love this picture, is that God then brings her to Adam. It's like this is the first wedding where the, you know, and I've gotten to do, you know, one of the greatest privileges of a pastor is to get to do a wedding. And how many times, like I've been, like, here at the front of a church and the doors open and I'm standing next to the groom and the dad or in some cases maybe a mom or a relative is walking the bride down the aisle and so there's a couple things that happen when everybody stands and everybody looks back so here's a practical coaching point I tell all the bridesmaids and groomsmen hey this is your last chance to check your fly, to check your hair, to check your nose, because everybody's looking back that way. And for the rest of the service, as soon as she gets up here, you can't do a thing about any of that. So this is your time. So just to be real, that's a practical coaching tip we give. Um, but what's way more significant than that is when you're standing next to the groom and just the variety of responses that I've heard, you know, from the guy standing right here, when this woman that he loves is coming to him, like sometimes the guy will just, just start breaking down and just start bawling. Like it's just like, or you'll hear him say, God, thank you. Or like, just wow. Or like, you're beautiful. Like those, those responses are just, just amazing. Like what a privilege. And then usually by the time they get up here and then the guy kind of, they go in order here and there's the dad and Man, as, as soon as I started having girls, it's like, man, I'm gonna, maybe there's a day where I'll be doing that too. And so we'll connect over rehearsal and say, man, how's that gonna be for you tomorrow? Are you gonna cry? Is that gonna be hard? So usually there's a connection there in the eyes with the dad, like, well, how are you doing? Are you gonna do okay with this? And then when they do their vows to each other, and I'm just standing like a foot or two away, and there they are just communicating. It's a, it's a beautiful place to be. And guys, that's, that's the heart of our God right here. Like he created the first woman. He brought the first woman and man together. He was there at the first wedding, bringing her. This is the heart of a good God, bringing a good gift to both of his children. 
And so, what a beautiful picture of marriage. And it's, it's a beautiful, uh, again, the blueprint for marriage comes from the heart of an infinite and a very good God. Like out of all the options, out of all the scenarios that marriage could have been or where sex could have uh, occurred or how you're going to populate a planet, this is God's blueprint. This is his plan. And, and when you look at Genesis 2, you see this is coming from the heart of a very good God. And so it's important too, like uh, there, there's a tendency, it's stronger than a tendency, it's kind of like the way of our world today is to just kind of take particularly Genesis 1 and 2 or the Bible in general or all this God stuff and just kind of shove it aside and say, you know, that's just for a different time or that was just, you know, relegated to that culture. We're so much wiser now. We have so many more options now. We have iPhones now. Like, so we can just do so much more. So we'll describe what uh, gender is. We'll describe when you can have sex and where. We'll define what marriage is. And so that's kind of the water's we're swimming in right now. Um, but what's, what's really important to know is that this blueprint for marriage didn't just appear back in Genesis 1 and 2. There were times where Jesus was asked to teach. Okay, what do, what do you think, Jesus, about this whole marriage thing and all that? Let me just read, like, one example was in Mark chapter 10 in a conversation about divorce. Jesus answered like this, at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. It's not like Jesus, I mean, this is, we're, we're quite a bit of time removed from Genesis 1 and 2. And if anybody could have kind of corrected the blueprint if it was wrong or added to it, like there's, there's the guy to do it, right? The one that walks on water, the one that died and rose again from the dead. Like he's like, well, you know, in the Old Testament, yeah, they were kind of strict, but really it's like this. No, he just, he grabs the same scenario, the same text and says, this is the plan. It's a great plan. Uh, and if you want to walk in the joy and the goodness of what God is offering you, you follow the plan. And so even a couple chapters later in the Bible, in Ephesians 5, where we're being taught about marriage, uh, the same, th that same text goes all the way back to this text in Genesis 2. This is the plan. These, these are the blueprints that if you really want to have a marriage that's satisfying, if you really want to be, be satisfied in who God has made you, identified you as male and female, if you really want to have enjoyable sex life, um, this, this is the plan. This is how, how you do this. It's not coming from a heavy-handed, uh, it's just coming from a heart of love. Like if you want the beautiful design that God has set up for us, you look at Genesis 1 and you look at Genesis 2. We have a good God. So uh, let me just, while we're talking about marriage, I just want to infuse a few thoughts into the marriages in this room because uh, marriage is hard today. And uh, I love, I love seeing strong marriages. I'm, I love it. I know... Uh, for me, what a blessing my marriage has been to me. Lori's in this service. I'm not just saying it because she's here. I said it last hour too. But I've been amazingly blessed with a teammate. Before I got married, I, I assumed marriage would be good. Guys, it has blown me away what it means to have uh, a teammate, a lover, uh, a one flesh relationship with someone in your life. It is an amazing gift from God. So let me just breathe a few words of energy and strength because I know there's some marriages here this morning that are struggling or that are really hard. Um, let me just say a couple things. Number one, I was just looking at this text, and obviously it's before there was sin, 
So, but I still think one thing to grab here is that both the man and the woman had a, had a relationship with God. Like the best gift you give to your marriage is you staying close to God. Because what happens then is that you're not looking to your spouse to be your help, to be all your strength, to understand you, because that's impossible. But you look to God for that. You keep close with God. And then out of your relationship with God, you love, you serve, you care for your spouse. The best gift you give to your marriage is your relationship with God. You keep God first. And, and can I just, this is, I don't know that you can get any more basic than this, but I don't know if there's a dip, discipline. I, I had several talks with guys after this last service, but what if you just prayed together? What if you just prayed together? The statistics are staggering. Couples that pray together, uh, are, it's in the 90 percentile that stay together. Just simply praying together. And, and I would say, and it was just really refreshing, great conversations. I would imagine if we surveyed marriages in this church this morning, your assumption would be, well, I'll bet you like 90% of the couples are praying together every night. Guys, do you want to realize it's on the opposite end of that? It's probably more like 10%, okay? That's like a brick between the eyes. It's like, duh, we know we should. Duh, we know that's a good thing. Why aren't we? A couple guys out there just kind of opened up with me last hour. You know, as a guy, it's really hard to admit that you don't know what you're doing or that you need help. And so prayer is the epitome of that. Uh, you're just going before your wife and just kind of acknowledging, like, God, I need your help. Um, the other thing is a lot of times guys feel stupid praying out loud. Like, they don't, they're not going to sound good, or it's, it's going to sound really simple or kind of dumb to their wives. And guys, when I've had open conversations with couples about this, you praying in front of your wife is one of the most beautiful things you can do because uh, she gets to see your heart she gets to hear you admit what she already knows, that you don't have it all together, that you need help, and that it is a lot easier to follow and trust you when she hears you pray. And um, other way around, women, for your, your man to hear you pray and hear what's on your heart. So I would just encourage you, keep it simple. Don't, it doesn't have to be some long, elaborate, sounding like you're Wade, you're praying, or you're, you know, like some just massive, brilliant words. Those are awesome. Like, just, just share your heart. Like, just, God, we need you. you know, pray for your kids. Thank you. Um, but, but God first will we'll just breathe a ton of life in your marriage. That's the first one. Second one is when Adam first saw his wife, man, he just, you know those words were most likely a song like bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, like most likely the most first recorded words in the Bible from a person to, uh, to another was a love song. Like he's just celebrating who she is. Here's a practical one with your spouse. What if somewhere that you see very regularly, for me it would be in my moleskin, my journal, uh, do you have a, make a list of things that you really appreciate about your spouse and it's not for you to read them to every day. I appreciate this, I appreciate, it's not, and there's definitely times and ways you let her know what's on your list or his, whatever. But, uh, but that's for you. That's for you to keep reminding you of what a gift she is to you or he is to you. Because it is so easy for us to maybe start comparing or competing. Well, he's not doing this. He's not as good as that husband. He's not like, we so easily go there. But what if on a regular basis you just thanked God for the woman that ultimately he walked down the aisle and gave to you. 
or same thing, wives, about your husband, what if you constantly reminded yourself of what a gift your spouse is to you? Watch what that will do to your marriage. And the last one, remember they were created, uh, and she was called a suitable helper. Like he had a work to do, and then she was brought alongside to work with him. Uh, a beautiful thing I've seen in our marriage is uh, to think of it this way, that in your marriage, God wants to bless you as a couple, but then he wants to bless others through you. So what are some examples of things you are doing together that are blessing other people? Now, if you'd have told me before marriage, true, false, if you and Lori served other people together, it would be a good thing. I mean, yeah, true. But I, I can't explain to you how powerful that has been to, have, to be teammates in a ministry, to pray for the same people, to serve God together. What that has done for us is it has helped us filter through what really matters and what really doesn't. Like you can hear maybe what some couples are getting snagged with or hung up on. And you just go, it really doesn't matter, you know? <laughs> what matters is God is blessing us. Now let's go, let's go look and let's see who we can bless together. The joy of doing ministry together for other people is a glue in a marriage, all right? Uh, there's more, but I'll stop there. But man, I just, I love marriage and would love to do all I can to help you and help this church experience this blessing of, of marriage, all right? So, uh, so where are we? First man and first woman, first marriage. But bottom line, the banner over chapter two is that we have a good God, all right? He is a good God. And we come to the end of chapter two, and it's kind of with some sadness because we know now we turn over to chapter three, and we're going to see the fall. We're going to see the first man and woman rejecting all of this that God has done because we think we could do better, all right? That's next week. But the, the main point here is that God is, is good. And so I can imagine this morning I've talked about some really uh, very important topics. And most likely, like if we were to talk about our greatest hurts in our lives, they would come somewhere from the topics I just talked about. Uh, I'm single and I don't want to be. Or I was in a marriage and I just got hurt in that marriage and now I'm out of that marriage. Or I'm in a marriage and it's not going good and this is hell and I don't know what to do. Or I'm in a good marriage and I'm trying to be a good parent and it's just, it's just burning me out. Like these are beautiful things, but we do live post-Genesis 3. And so what's the word to us this morning? The truth is, whatever our scenario, uh, we have a good God, all right? And so we've talked about a suitable helper, uh, we've talked about a spouse, and we've talked about a wedding. What if we remind ourselves this morning that Jesus is the greater suitable helper, the greater spouse, and he's inviting us into a greater wedding, a greater marriage, okay? So Jesus is the better helper, the better spouse, and inviting us to a greater wedding. So let's start here. Jesus is your suitable helper. He's like, but unlike. So he's like us in that he was, full, when he walked on this planet, fully God, fully man. So in his full humanity, he gets what we're going through. Discouragement, it's hard. Uh, the challenge, you know, the opposition that's out there, he gets it. But he's also f unlike us in that he's fully God. Like so wise, powerful, strong. And so Hebrews 4 says that we can come before Jesus in our time of need, and we're going to find grace and mercy to help us. He is the ultimate suitable helper. Married or not, good marriage or not, 
Uh, these are good days. These are hard days. He is the ultimate suitable helper. Hebrews 4 says, come, come to him for help. But your second question might be, come, met me, come to him for help? Like, do you understand who I am? Do you understand what I've done? Like, are you sure I have that excess? And we need to understand that he's the better spouse and that he has, he's the one that has proposed to you to come to him. He's the one that has shown you love so that you can come to him. Okay, he, it was his idea for us to come to him. It's not just ours. He wants you to come to him. And you could say, well, how do I know? Like, how can I really know that I'm welcome to just come to Jesus? If you talk to most couples about when they were just dating to where it suddenly became more than dating. Like, I want more from this than just dating. And what, how did you know? Like, how did that other person communicate that to you? It's usually going to be a demonstration of great sacrifice. All right? So... Lori was the first woman that I had dated that when we uh, drifted apart in some way, so here's what happened. We started meet, dating in September. Jeff and Cheryl introduced us, the Gilmores, introduced us to each other, and then just kind of stepped back. And so for about nine months, we built a relationship, doing ministry together, hanging out together. It was a lot of fun. But then she went on a short-term mission trip that next summer to Belize. And after she was gone for the first couple of days, it hit me between the eyes that unlike any relationship I'd ever been in before, I, I needed her. Like, I missed her. This wasn't just, like, a fun relationship. Like, this one struck me different. The bummer was, she's, like, clear down in Belize. Plus, she's out in the camp. It's out in the middle of the sticks. And back then, you couldn't just pick up a, a phone and call. Like, I think they got mail once a week down there. And when I went to find out how long does it take to send something there, it was, like, two weeks. It's like, what? You know, and so, so I had to, I forget all the details, but I just knew it cost a lot of money to find out how do you get stuff down there in like two days instead of two weeks, because I got to let her know, like, this is, I miss you. Like, I value our relationship, and it's cool hearing her talk about it from her end. It's like, well, I'm kind of not hearing anything. There was like this two-week gap that on this end, I'm like, Ugh, you know, and so, but on the other end of that, to explain to her, like, yeah, like it just hit me between the eyes. I miss you. And so uh, that was, and again, that's a great sacrifice. But uh, it, was, it was sacrifice because I wanted her to know. And those were some of our first signs that, yeah, there's something more to this. Jesus has given us the ultimate sign that he wants us in uh, relationship with him and that he died for us. He, he sacrificed himself for us. He said, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So you look at the cross, and that is Jesus' invitation to every one of us that he wants to be married to you. He wants to be in that relationship. He wants to be your suitable helper. He proved that by dying for you on the cross. In fact, he didn't die for us because, you know, we were beautiful and we had something to offer him. He died for us when all we had to offer him was our sin. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love like God's kind of love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, gave his life for us. That's how Jesus makes it clear that he wants you to receive his proposal. He loves you. He sacrificed for you. He wants you in relationship with him. And if you've never done that before, if you've never started a relationship with God, the, the almighty God through Jesus Christ, it is the most amazing trade you will ever make in your life. You give him your sin and your brokenness and your loneliness, 
and your anger and whatever, you just give him your worst. And he takes that, he forgives you, and he gives you his life. And he walks with you the rest of your days on this planet as your suitable helper. And then one day, you will celebrate with him the greatest wedding that has ever happened. And let me just read a couple verses from Revelation that talk about the great wedding. It's amazing the Bible is bookended with weddings in Genesis 2 and then in Revelation 21 where it says this, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling is now among his people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Let's pray. And let's just start there. Like how, where in your life right now do you just need a suitable helper? And not just a suitable helper, but here's Jesus, fully God, fully man, extending love to you, saying, how can I, how can I help you? What would you say to him this morning? Where, where is your great area of need this morning? Maybe it's, Maybe it is loneliness. Maybe there's some things over your head right now in your marriage and with your kids, with people you love. There's fractures in relationships. Where, where are you over your head right now? And where do you need a suitable helper? The, the creator of the universe is asking you this morning, can, can I be your suitable helper? Talk to him. Talk to him right now. Where do you need his help? Jesus, we're amazed at what you have offered us. We're amazed that you are the greatest lover, that you have laid down your life for us while we were sinners. You offered to trade us and take our worst and to give us your best. And God, we want to be a church that, that gets that, that gets our head around that, that trusts in you as the great and good God. Humble us so that we do cry out for help and mercy in time of need. Thank you that you're a God who is a strong helper, that you want to be that for us. And then may we be a church and a people that receive that from you so that we can pass that on, be blessed by you so that we can be a blessing for others. But thank you for your beautiful plan uh, for relationships, for gender, for marriage, for sex. You are an amazing God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.